Hello, welcome to Let the Bird Fly, podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio with uh, with Michael. He's sitting over there across the way. He's already on his phone. Uh, and Jason, who's uh, yeah, who is markedly late today and is dressed like a lumberjack. Um, Yo ho! Were you doing work outside? No. No, not not this morning. I, mean, I just censored myself. I had a good joke, but it would have been inappropriate. Um, <laughs> let's, let's bring some energy, dude. Well, <laughs> we're at the we're at what should be the end of the semester. We finished the semester last week. We had finals. We got our grades in. We all had semesters. We had challenges. We had um, highs and lows. And uh, and Mike and I were teaching J term and. The spring semester got moved up, which is great. Um, but that means J term actually is a, a D in J term. It's a, it's a winter term. And so we got our grades in. Monday morning is when you get your grades in. And we taught Monday morning for uh, winter term. So we're, we're coming from that. I got a good group. That's a quick turn. Shut up, Jason. <laughs> Anyways, we got a good group. And I have a good group. And uh, But we... Jury is out. Yeah. We've got Pauline Epistles, and we had Galatians today, so that's great. But I'm just tired. I'm losing my voice. Um, I don't know why the listeners have to suffer. Bring it up. Well, they can just they can stop listening to our podcast that's if right. they don't like it. This yeah. is true. It's a free country. Yeah. Most people stop listening to our podcast. I don't know why. Long time why, Yeah. Why, <laughs> why these people are still listening. Um, well, Christmas is coming up. Yep. And so we're, uh, we're making that... Um, that push, we're done with J term this week tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So then we've got a gap until January third. Um, Jason, your your time off already started. If only that were so. If only that. I'm uh, needing to submit a couple of things yet for my uh, grad school grad school work. Yes, before Christmas would be great. So <laughs> that's what I was doing this morning. Not lumberjack. Remember, Mike, when you uh, came here and you already had a degree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when I came and I just had to finish my dissertation. Mm-hmm. This yep. guy, man. It was yeah. easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but we're going to talk Christmas today. Right. And the compelling nature of the Christmas story, even though it's only in two, perhaps three mm-hmm. gospels, really three, but two, the actual story. The narrative. The narrative's mm-hmm. in, two, really, the narrative's only in. One, yeah, it's it's well the it's the Charlie mentioned. Brown narrative, yeah, it's it's mentioned in another one. Mark, your gospel doesn't even care about Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mark doesn't even care about Christmas. Yep. He's like, let's get let's get to Don't the cross and empty tomb, yeah. yeah. Which then, is, I think, something for us to talk about of why probably maybe my sense is wrong. For most Christmas Christians today, Christmas is the biggest. Festival of the year, maybe? Oh, for sure. I think so. More than yeah. Easter, even? Yeah. 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 And that was a change. Even Epiphany was more important than Christmas. And that. Yeah, probably goes Christmas, Thanksgiving. July 4th. July 4th. And Friendship Easter, Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Life Sunday, Memorial Day. And then, yeah. But Christmas yeah. Is, is right there on, on top. But really, Epiphany is way down on the list when it really yeah. was way high on the well, list. And that's what I was going to say with... um. You know, you mentioned the maybe two Gospels, and uh, right, Matthew is going to give us a little more on the Epiphany mm-hmm. side of things, and and maybe that's something we can hit on too. Is we say Christmas, and um, 
as Christians and as, as people who are in the parish, we probably mean a bigger thing and we definitely mean a longer season than what many think of when they think of Christmas, right? Uh, they think Christmas Eve, for many people, Christmas is over on Christmas Eve even, you know, Christmas Day attendance. I've kind of growing up, um, I guess I that seemed bigger and Christmas Eve attendance just dwarfs Christmas Day attendance for church. A lot of people are opening their presents already Christmas Eve. And then we think, well, we're we're done. And maybe we're even tired because secular Christmas, um, you know, like marketplace Christmas, hmm. Christmas music on the radio Christmas has been going now for a couple months. And that's not a bad thing. Like, I got to buy presents for people. Uh, yeah. Um, now, presents technically should be what day? Not Christmas Day, but Epiphany, right? Mm-hmm. This is an Epiphany thing. Um, but yeah, maybe this this Christmas season. But good luck making your kids wait an extra right days, right? But this Christmas season as a whole is it's so many historical things for the church that have kind of been pared down when it was a, a much richer thing as things went. Um, so we'll be kind of hitting on how does this become the day when uh you know one gospel doesn't have it. John is just like. He's like at the coffee shop or the bar, like waxing eloquent on it philosophically. Matthew isn't going to be as narrowed in. Matthew says this after the Annunciation says, after Jesus was born, and then goes into the Epiphany. Although it's it's there. That'd be a good sermon verse. It's there. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So really it's Luke too. Mm -hmm. But it's there in... The incarnation is always there. Yeah. And so this becomes a preeminent thing. Um, it's there in uh, in Paul a little in Galatians 4. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it, it's it's not. Uh, there's, there's a lot of events in Christ's life and in the church year that get a lot more coverage. Um, but and, and, and I think hopefully something we can hit on is that we're not saying Christmas shouldn't be such a big day because only Luke gives us, you know, the, the main narrative. Um, but what is it that makes Christmas such a big day that that makes John's account as much a Christmas account as Luke's account? Um, you know, and things of the sort. Really, if you think Christmas, Isaiah has more than Mark. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, right. Micah, you know, has yeah. more. Well, especially Isaiah. Yeah. yeah. So, um, all right, I'm tired and distracted, so I'm going to try to dial us back in, and I'm going to say, uh, is there anything you guys want to say that's not related just to the main topic? Let's do that now rather than a free-for-all. Ah, Nothing you want to get so. out of your system? No. No? No. Okay, no thoughts on life? Mm-mm. No. All right, well, then we will uh, we'll get it. I don't have any stu- anything to say other than we're part of the 1570 Podcasting Network. Um, we had a good Giving Tuesday, so thank you to everyone for that. You can go to 1517.org, check out all the good stuff there. Um, they've got a, the the new, what is the Anderson Francisco podcast, Faith and Reason? Faith and Reason Exchange. Yeah, check that out. I've listened a couple times. That's uh, pretty good. 
Um, but you can go there and check that out. And then, uh, Michael, would you mind? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We'll be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live for your friends and don't let us get in the way. He was right on that. That was energy. Very Minnesota outfit, actually. Oh, thank you. With like the the guy who like plows the driveway for someone in a Hallmark movie, <laughs> like a Christmas yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's fitting. All right, and a good segue. I say that I'm I'm dressed like a homeless man as well. So, <laughs> all right, that brings us to our main topic then again, which is. Uh, Christmas, but Christmas in the Gospels and, and why Christmas is such a significant season, let's say season, um, in the in the church year. Um, Michael, you kind of hit a little bit on the, the Gospels as a whole and how they cover it. I should have been open to Luke. What, what Gospel are you open to right now? I have Matthew open. Okay. Um, so Should we read Luke, the Christmas account, or no? We can do it in a little bit. Let me. Okay. So I'll say this: that you are right. Mark is is fast, right? It's the shortest of the gospels. It is. Uh, uh, let's get to the main point story here. You need to know this for this. Um, probably Peter writing with Mark um, in Rome, uh, a tense time. Let's get that message out. Yes, Luke. The nature of, of Luke's writing is to take his time and do his research. He actually says that. And so he is interested in the, in the details of uh, the, the political and secular context, Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, governor of Syria. Um, he did his research, right? He, he is an historian. And so I had imagined that he, he interviewed people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably uh, has manuscripts he's working with too that, you know, um, aren't necessarily don't make it as the cut of four of the gospels, but we he's he's on he mentions that. that he's looking at yeah, and, and so he has um, even though he does not have the apostolic connection, Peter does or even Paul and certainly not Matthew and John have with Jesus Christ. He is he has those eyewit he has access to eyewitness accounts, and so. He reads more like a history. This happened, this happened. Let me give you all the details you need to know. Also, he is uh, writing to maybe more of a, a, a Gentile Greek audience. He's a companion and, of Paul, yeah, and so that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That, that and so he is, let, let's, he, he talks stuff about the temple more than anybody else. That's why his uh, symbol is the bull. Uh, so he, he's trying to fill that out. Now, John, uh, Matthew, uh, you know, Jewish audience. One day we should uh, do what our symbols would be. Yeah, Jew- <laughs> Jewish audience. So, uh, you know, the, he starts out with the, the chronology. Luke has a, has a chronology too, a genealogy, but uh, uh, Matthew starts out with that. And, uh, you, you know, this is speculation too, but um, he makes a, a very fine point about the Annunciations, that this was this was legit stuff. These are the sons of David, uh, uh, the, the ancestors of David, both Mary and Joseph. 
but then he's the one that brings in the magi, right? And the, the idea there that um, this incarnate Christ is for everybody and the glory of Israel is that their Messiah gets to be everybody's Messiah. And so I, I think there's, you could see why he would highlight the, those things. And John comes later. John's later. John's, you know the story, mm-hmm. right? And John is going to, John's the most ser- sermonic of the Gospels, um, long discourses, and uh, not, I wouldn't say filling in the gaps, but going a little bit deeper in, in certain things. He comes from a place of more wisdom. Uh, he's also just in his writing and his epistles, uh, he's, he's just a little bit more philosophical, right? God is love, right? And uh, you know, we all experienced this in, in college where John's Greek was the, the, the simplest. Yeah, that's and what yet, you start with. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's the most profound, and, and there's a message there about philosophy. Philosophy, when you read uh, often uh, some of the Greek philosophers or even some of the, you know, the pre-Socratic, it's not complicated sentences. Uh, it's only when you get uh, to philosophy being a, um, a professional thing that you, you start to get real technical language and you, and you can get lost. And, and uh, you, have to, you have to back up and say, ask the simple question. What is a what is a good life? What is a human being? That kind of stuff. And John does that. What says God is love, and and while a third grader can understand that sentence, it could keep a philosopher busy their their mm-hmm. whole life. I was teaching worship today, and that talking about the medieval uh, worship scene, as we might say. And uh, one of the criticisms we have is that the the, the church became professionalized. In, in especially in worship where you have a choir that the priest is up there doing his thing and the, and the choir does his thing and the people no longer participate. And it, there was a distance there, right? And, and part of it was the good of the, that society being all Christian, you could do great things like build cathedrals and have complicated chants and, and have a lot of people in, funded in the university to just stop and think about theology. But you take a step away from the actual clear message sometimes. And so, so it makes sense that John would, would write not like, okay, let me tell you, Luke, the history. Let me tell you um, from Matthew's point of view, from this Jewish perspective, what's going on. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God, right? Um, and there, there's so, so much to unpack in those where when there's a lot to unpack in, in Luke, but from a different perspective, yeah. yeah, and I think, um, you know, we, along those lines, each each apostle and each author um, has their peculiar gifts. And, um, you know, even Peter will say of Paul, Paul writes some pretty deep things, right? Peter in his letter will talk about that. Um, and I, I think when we think of both Luke and, and John, uh, Luke, one of the, the famous paintings or way that, ways that Luke is imaged um, is painting the virgin and child. Like he's literally with a paintbrush painting. And, and Luke is able to be attentive to detail and also present detail that especially the Gentile, he's anticipating what the Gentile reader would want to know what's helpful. Um, but just to reiterate with John, the power of think, what he's able to... Do you think Luke, we, we can't prove this word, but do you think Luke meant Mary? Um, I would think, I think yeah. so. I... Yeah. I, I when he's talking about those uh, 
kind of the, the interview process or stuff like that. I mean, outside of, outside of the miracle of inspiration, you wonder who else could be a source, you know, that uh, for some of those um, infancy accounts other than Mary. Do you think maybe, so John takes care of, when does John go to like Ephesus? Do we know that? We've been after Patmos, right? Or well, it was before and after, yeah. but it, I think it was relatively late. So the, the in the first century, you know the qu- the qu- does is John around Paul and Luke when when Paul and Luke are going through those? I don't know the co- chronology, mm. but there's a if Mary if John takes seriously jo- uh, Jesus' request to take <laughs> Mary into his home, how long does Mary live? Yeah, this Mary. Yeah, I would assume Mary probably not makes it to Ephesus and you know that area with John, but John's there. I'm certainly John and Mary had maybe a conversation or two about the. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, does Luke get directly to Mary? Does he get directly to to John? I guess we can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But I've sure. always kind of assumed like, yeah, he did his research. Yeah. Right, and he was there, um, and was talking to firsthand accounts. Yeah. And um, and so in that regard, you know Luke's ability with the detail, uh, just with John, like as as Mike said, in our system, uh, we take John first for like Koine Greek. That's our first mm-hmm. experience to a book of the Bible. Um, we do classical Greek first. I think we still do that at our college. I don't know for yeah. sure. Um, but uh, so one of the things that that's come up, you know, in modern higher ed is. Um, people using different technologies to help with writing. And in discussions with um, students about what good writing is, one of the things I've learned I have to stress is that good writing isn't just using big words. Um, mm-hmm. Because sometimes, you know, students will say, well, I, I just need th- these resources to help me use big words because they think big words are smarter words, they're better words. And I think it's it's a gift that John has, but it also says something about um, the truth of God that John um, is writing what he does, and he's taking Greek concepts, deep concepts, Christ is the Logos, and yet he does it with the simplest words. Uh, so that what you're, what you're left to impact, I think God is love, that's a straightforward sentence. Um. But what you're left to unpack, well, what does it mean that God is love? Well, that's what the scriptures explain. That is what, what Jesus um, makes plain in his, his work. And I, I think that is a helpful reminder for all of us as Christians, too, as we seek to mature in the faith, to grow in theology. Um, and I think it's hopefully something that we all keep in mind here at the college, is that we're, it's, our task is never to grow out out or beyond those simple words. Um, theology has really suffered historically, especially within Protestantism, when it became, you know, about the big words, or getting too technical, or divorced from the pulpit. And, and, and every discipline's like and that. And you mentioned that, Michael, in the Middle Ages. And <clears throat> Luther could really do theology, right? You, you read him on the Lord's Supper, and he's going to talk about you know, ubiquity and all these concepts. Except, except that's not the Luther that resonated with the laity or the Luther that even resonated um, with other theologians at first exposure. 
what drew people to Luther was things like his preaching of Christmas. Right? Luther loved to preach Christmas. Much of what we associate with Christmas, Luther um, also was fondly, uh, he admired or he even helped shape the practice. Um, it was Luther's ability to have simple, straightforward words and yet words that were packed. I mean, what's probably Luther's most profound writing, people could say, oh, bondage of the will, or um, you know, uh, his uh, confession concerning the Lord's Supper was... No, it's the small catechism, yeah. right? Is uh, And so I think that... Um, and you see, the, you see this in his own translation philosophy, too, like how... You know, he wants the Bible to be, mm -hmm. he doesn't want the Bible to be the language of the academic classroom. You know, he wants it to be the language of the marketplace and the, the you know, woman speaking to her child type of language, not, you know, well, h how are we going to parse this, yeah. you know, theological concept? So if we, if, we, if we take that, and then I'll stop, but, so you've got John who can do this deep and sim profound with simple words. You've got Luke who can who can be the painter, right? Who can catch the detail, and then you also have Paul who can do Galatians four, right, and unpack the, um, the incarnation in a very deep way. Uh, and and so when we're talking not just Christmas, but when we're talking the scriptures, and inspiration, and and Mike and Jason, you both emphasize that that Luke's doing his research, that the these are eyewitness accounts that you know John saw these things and he's pondered them. Uh, it's not, when we talk about inspiration, it's not as if they shut their brains down or as if they lost their personality um, or as if their intellectual gifts became unimportant. Um, this You see this in Islam with where um, many Muslims will stress that Muhammad was probably illiterate because, right, that emphasizes this is just this direct revelation Dictation. of, of yeah. the, the Qumran. Um, that is not how Christians approach the scriptures, uh, we recognize that God used these people. We did a few episodes on the prophets, and I think part of what has drawn us to the prophets is like Ezekiel's a weird dude. Mm. You know what I mean? You read it and you just go, that he was a different, like did God pick him because he was different or did he become different because God picked him? But like only Ezekiel could be Ezekiel. Um, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, you know, that God's using these situations. And so I think that's, Maybe that's also part of the draw of Christmas for Christians is that you do get these cherished accounts, whether it be in the beginning was the word um, or uh, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem or um, when Quirinius was governor in, in Syria or in those days, Caesar Augustus and our decree. And, and it's what makes those, those uh, stories like, Nostalgic's not the right word, but it's nostalgic in the sense I remember reciting this and hearing this or whatever, because it's an actual story, right? Yep. And so the the uh, Good Friday account is like that as well, right? And even though other parts of the Bible are, of course, just as important and maybe even be familiar to you, they don't have the same sense, yeah. right? Like, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, okay, but that's something different than hearing the kids saying, to I, to and, and maybe the hymns even, the hymns also are maybe more like this than in other seasons too, where so many of the Christmas hymns, just like the gospel accounts reveal the evangelist um, in a good way, the hymns seem to really 
do that from the different people and places they come from too. Sorry, Jason, yeah. I'll stop now. Yeah, no, I that that um, I think uh, I wonder how much too that nostalgia comes from. Like this, this is the for for many people who grow up in the church and and are part of you know Christmas programs or pageants or things like that. You know that this is some of the the Christmas counter is maybe some of the first words of scripture that you really come to know because you've had to memorize them uh, and and that you maybe got to participate or, or you this was maybe the first time that in a meaningful way you get to participate in you know worship not because you maybe knew what was going on or or, or wanted to but <laughs> but you have uh, you have that um, experience now and that recollection now and you know I, I wonder how much that plays in with that, but it also maybe underscores how uh, important that is, you know, I mean, to um, ingraining some of that. And, and maybe that explains somewhat too, um, and I don't mean to sound like a downer or like a culture warrior when I say this, um, but I mean, we just statistically, church attendance is um, down in America. Um, now, I I personally think the number of committed Christians isn't necessarily down. Right. There's maybe been a winnowing. But um, there's a lot of people who grew up in churches that they no longer attend. Um, but maybe this is still part of the pull of Christmas. Uh, right, there's... Because um, people still show up on Christmas. And, and even if they don't show up, there's something to the holiday... That's more than it. Uh, I, I was out driving, and so I put on one. Of, there's a station that just has Christmas music in Milwaukee. Um, I can't remember the song, but it was all about like, you know, the importance of Christmas, and it's like sacralizing like the tree mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. right. We we don't do that with other holidays, even with Thanksgiving, where we've got this narrative. We don't sac- you know sacralize those those things in the same way. Um, but even if you take like a defining Christmas movie, like It's a Wonderful Life or whatever else, there's just things that are, um, there's an expectation of meaning there beyond what I think we find with many other holidays celebrated in the West. Yep. And I wonder how much of that is even people who no longer are in the church or practicing still remember as a child, there is something too, I think like you were saying, yeah. that there was this sense of participating, learning, being in awe um, well, that people miss. And impacting impacting everyday culture and life. I yeah. mean, the, the, the Co- idea... The coming together of yep, that there home is, life, church life, and society. There is a, you know, the, the Christmas spirit... You know, which you don't talk about the the spirit of of the Thanksgiving season or or the right. spirit of Easter, but just the time of year. You know, even apart from the celebration of the holiday itself, there is this idea of spirit. Yeah, and to say you know it's the most magical time of the year. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Christmas is a miserable time of the year, <laughs> weather wise. A lot of like yeah. it's not a. Um, but think of all the stuff that otherwise is. You know, we want a white Christmas. We don't want that other days. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I don't want that on a Monday when I got to get to class. Yeah. Um, 
but these things take on. So, so maybe if we can take it back to the Gospels and to the incarnation of the why. Can, can I yep. raise one other point? Which, I, so this is one, one thing that, you know, which I think kind of bridges back to the Gospels too, is that you know, we, we've kind of raised this question of, you know, why isn't this maybe more prominent? You know, and the fact that this is um, something that really captures the imagination of um, people here and now today, right? I, I think, you know, one of the things is this idea of um, the birth account, right? You know, or, or we make a big deal of birthdays. They didn't necessarily. Um, but... Uh, so I think that was one where you say, well, maybe that wasn't so much on the minds of the of the people that were contemporaries of Jesus and the apostles, right? That they weren't necessarily asking some of those questions. But at the same time, you know, when you start talking about, man, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Um, there's going to be this thing of this question that stands, well, where where exactly does he come from or how does he come to be? And I think this is part of that. The other thing that um, in one of my classes that I was taking previous semester, um, we had the opportunity to talk about like the celebration of Christmas, Christmas becoming a church thing, because it really wasn't at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the early church didn't really celebrate Christmas in, in the way that we think of it. I mean, uh, but you know when it was? Do you know who, do you know who was supposedly the first um or the one to claim credit, at least, for the, for the celebration of Christmas. All right, can I ask Christmas? a question just to narrow it down somewhat? Yeah. It's pre-Reformation we're talking? Pre-Reformation. I'm going to say Gregory the Great. Which Gregory are you talking about? The, the Pope Gregory the yeah. Great? Yeah. Okay. You are very warm, but it's not... Leo? It's not a Pope. It is oh. a Gregory. Michael, do you have a guess? I don't. Gregory of Nazianzus. Oh, Gregory the Theologian, okay. yeah, in the aftermath of Nicaea, that when the person of Christ really becomes an issue, now there is this emphasis to say, hey, we should maybe incorporate into, the, into worship, into the calendar, um, an opportunity to focus largely on who exactly this person is, how he came to be, you know, how is it that Jesus is the Christ that has come into this world so hmm. so i which i found that to be very fascinating so it would be kind of in the in the immediate aftermath of the council of nicaea that this becomes a thing um but yeah gregory of nazianzus supposedly claims credit at least say hey i was the first one to to make christmas a church thing i bet when we meet him in heaven he'll be wearing like a holiday sweater yeah and, and he's probably it's probably a uh um you know, like he and St. Nicholas would probably go back and forth a little bit, yeah, don't you think? And probably. Like who really gets credit for this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael, I'll throw it back to you. Um, so when we talk Christmas, we're talking incarnation. Now we could technically, right, the incarnation takes place at the Annunciation, but um, but the great festival of, of Christ arriving, being born, uh, is, of course, Christmas. Um, part of the the power of Christmas uh, for Christians is now we have God here in the flesh. I would say to get at what we were just talking before, though, um, even for those who are just in a a culturally Christian environment, 
or maybe even non-Christian, but like Christ- Christianity, there is a sense of like the divine or the you know, whatever you want to call it is closer, is nearer in this time. Um, why? Uh, why is the incarnation um, such a? Why is it created this day? Why is it an event that we do well to mark in the way we do? I'm, I'm, you're kind of fumbling. I'm asking that poorly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, what's made Christmas Christmas is that God became man. So, and whether the Middle yeah, Ages or whatever. Yeah. So here's something we we've talked about this before, but we miss in our in our modern uh, way of thinking of the world and ourselves and God. Um, we don't one of, one of the ways that we. One of the things we miss is we don't think in terms of location, right? So we don't really have, we don't have sacred spaces, and yet we do. In America, we don't have we don't have a sense of like the sacred space, like um, like Muslims would take off your shoes, or even in like Japan. Um, certainly, we don't really resonate with with Moses having to take off his shoes and his sandals in front of the burning bush. Now. That because we occupy time and space, and because we are, we are carne, carne, we are flesh. Um, we we th- there's a vacuum that occurs, and so if I would say what's a sacred space in America, we even use that term for uh, like the the halls of Congress or something, right? Like this is a this is a sacred thing. So we 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 end up filling that void um, almost without knowing it. So in, in the ancient world, where you were in, in proximity to the divine mattered. So they assumed that there was God, God or the gods or a force was present, right? Only until you have post-Reformation and really starting to get into the Enlightenment where, do, where Christians start to, to do this very unchristian thing, which is put God in heaven and keep him there. So we've talked about this before. Are you a first article Christian rather than a second article Christian? And this gets played out, of course, with with totally ignoring the doctrine of vocation for a couple generations, uh, downplaying and pietism of the sacraments, the institutional church. Um, uh, th- this is it's all very modern and very American, and not just putting God in heaven, but really putting anything supernatural out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of consciousness, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and and if I do have a connection, it's it's going to be, God's going to kind of zap me. Yeah. Right? Maybe, yeah, the word, but it's going to be more like, it's very Gnostic in that way. So, um, but but think about, think about where, how God manifests himself in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's, it's in a location, Right, it's in the temple, and then you have all these barriers. You're you're in the Gentile islands. You get to cross the Jordan River. Now you're into the holy land, the land that's set apart. You get to the holy city Jerusalem. You get to the Temple Mount Moriah, and then you get into the temple structure. If you're a Gentile, you stop in the first courtyard. If you're a Jewish man or a uh, uh, child or woman, you get to the next courtyard. If you're a Jewish man, you get to the next courtyard. If you're a priest, you get to the next courtyard. If you're a priest on duty, you get to go in the building. If you're the high priest only once a year on Yom Kippur, do you get 
And that was that was the meeting place, right? The tent of meeting, the the the, the place of meeting. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night during during the the age of the tabernacle as they're going through the wilderness. And then and then when when God when the temple's destroyed, because you're always thinking about that's where God is. Yes, he's everywhere, but he seeks to be found where he wants to be. He wants you to seek him where he wants to be found. Um when when the temple gets destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, we, we hear through the prophets that the glory departed. And it was not, I mean, God put up a lot in his house, as we all do, <laughs> right? And, and, and there was fake idols in there, fake gods. Uh, we talked about this with Ezekiel, right? In my own household, you were, you were committing idolatry slash adultery. But the, I, don't think, I don't think there was a, going to be a possible way for the temple to be destroyed if the presence of God was there in the way that it was Previous. He left the temple, then it got destroyed. Right. And you, th- you think of the, with the Ark of the Covenant and the Philistines, yeah. where like it ends yeah. up coming back because God does make clear, yeah. like, this is my presence, you don't want me among <clears throat> you. Yeah. So even Daniel, when he's praying, prays towards Jerusalem. Right? And we, we, we have a, a hat tip to that with a liturgical east yeah. right, facing Jerusalem. But that's more uh, eschatological, like God's going to come back. If he's going to come back, it's going to be in Jerusalem, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Um so, so then when, when, when you ask the question, where is God in relationship to me? Um, you know, it, God specifically said, I will be with you. My throne will be the Ark of the Covenant. You know where to find me. Then something changes. Now it's going to be in the womb of Mary. And John the Baptist in his own mother's womb leaps at the words of, of Mary. And the... The, we've said this before. When you, now he's walking around, and the the problem with the 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 ten lepers or the nine lepers is not that they're unthankful. Of course, they were thankful. They just got their lives back, <laughs> and they went directly to church, the temple, exactly what Jesus told them to do, and they got cured on the way out there. The problem was is that they didn't realize they should have turned around and thanked God because God was in their presence. So this is God visiting you, and not with terror but with kindness and in a hidden way, right? And this is God's modus operandi is to, 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 to with ordinary means accomplish extraordinary tasks, to, to use physical means for spiritual ends. And we see this, I'll let you unpack it, in a non-snarky way. Because people don't go to different churches that have different things happening. But just as you're unpacking this, a strong connection to me is a point that you've made in the past. This is why it's Christ Mass. Yeah. 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 So, um, uh, yeah, let me, let me come to that. So, God's modus operandi is going to continue this way into the New Testament church. So, now where do I find God? Well, the last place you want to look is inside yourself. Hmm. The second last place you want to look is. Unless you're Mary. Yeah, <laughs> full of grace. Yeah. The, the, the second place, the last place you want to look is nature. Because in, in, in yourself, you're not going to find God. You're going to find yourself, ultimately. Yes, God is in you, but you don't, I, I seek him externally, and then, yeah. Nature, at least you can come to a conclusion that there's a God, but you're only going to find law. So where do you find him? Well, 
He is the word. He's the true baptizer. It's his body and blood, and he's the true absolver. For your convenience, we do it every Sunday morning. <laughs> Where do you find him? You find him in the church. This is the temple, the church, right? And, and we, we, we take that in a, in a very modern way and, and, and sort of a, a spiritual sort of detached from the physical, physical world, uh, you know, like, where, where is God? Well, the church. And, and then we emphasize the church, you know, and we emphasize all the different talents of the body of Christ. And, it's, and, and we'll even say, yeah. and it's, this is true, but yeah. the church isn't the building, it's the people. Yes, well, it's, it's but it, it also, there is things that happen in the yeah, building. The building is important, church. too. Yeah. But, yeah. but notice what we do. We, we, we turn the emphasis onto the, onto the, the vessel. And, and it, it, it always struck me that, that let, let me come back and I'll come back to, 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 to what strikes me as, as kind of odd and a little bit hypocritical. Is remember the story of the, the Ark of the Covenant being transfer, tra- transferred to Jerusalem by David and Uzzah touches the throne and he gets killed, and you're like, geez, God, what's the big deal? Well, they had already been disrespecting him for a long time by not following these rules. They were not realizing that they were in the presence of God. And uh, David says, how could the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Stays in the house of Obed-Edom for three months in the hill country of Judea, and the, or Judah, and then is going to go to Jerusalem. Mary visits Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, almost verbatim, how could the mother of my Lord ever come to me? Mary stays there three months on her way to Jerusalem. So we think about these vessels, so to speak. The Ark of the Covenant was not divine itself, but it, but it was the throne. It was the vessel of God in, in, in a roundabout way. The womb of Mary is not important. Mary is not the important part. She's the vessel of, of this literally God in her womb. The church is not that important. It's what you what it contains. It's a vessel, right? It too is on the way to Jerusalem, right? The golden Jerusalem. So for all of our our Protestant, we don't worship Mary the vessel. Mm-hmm. Man, do we sure worship the the church and all of her talents and 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 we concentrate on. Now I shouldn't ignore Mary. I shouldn't mm-hmm. ignore the Ark of the. All covenant. generations will call her blessed. I should not ignore the church, but what's the emphasis? It's where you meet. God. This is a sacred space set apart where you are going to meet God, right? And then this gets played out, of course, in another thing that we miss is the meal, right? We don't, we don't think about food in, in a, as a spiritual, spiritual thing, but other people do. So that Holy Communion becomes kind of the thing. The Word and Holy Communion go, go together, the Word and meal aspect. Because it's both of them are real. <laughs> they're real. They're physical. They are events. Um, and, they, and they do something. They both do things, right? So, so then when, when everybody's got their cultural, uh, um, fighting their cultural world, bump, fighting the culture war bumper stickers, keep Christ in Christmas. Coffee cups. Which is, let's just say, uh, at best, an encouragement. At worst, a you know, I hate the secular world. What you really should be saying is, keep the mass in Christmas, because that's how the incarnate God meets you today, right? And by mass, we mean Holy Communion, right? Yeah. That so Lutherans might be listening and going, 
Oh, he wants to be Roman Catholic. Yeah. yeah Which well, it, well, those Christ, Lutherans should read their confessions. Yeah. Christ doubly. Yeah, <laughs> they should. <laughs> so I. Christ, so, Christ doubly hidden. Yeah. Right. So, so the idea of keep Christ in, in Christmas. What, what you're really saying is, I want to fight against the. The commercialism of the the Christmas season and make sure you know the. Re- but it's all in the head, right? That's all in yeah. the head. That's all just like I, I spent. I spent this much amount of time thinking about Jesus or doing Jesusy stuff, and then I spent this much time uh, decorating cookies, mm. right? But I, th- that's not that's not the point. The point is meet the physical Christ for you, the physical sinner. Yeah, even even you know Jesus is the reason for the season. I'm just teaching on Galatians today. We read Luther's Paul's argument. You know in the um, Jesus, keep Jesus as the reason for the season or keep Christ in Christmas. That's active righteousness. That's stuff you do, yeah. right? Like for God or for other sure. people. Like, sure. <clears throat> like here's... And we can understand it correctly, and it, but yes. It's not bad. Like yeah. putting up the Christmas tree, okay, that's cool, you know, whatever. Um, but the passive righteousness is this. It's, it's meeting God. And it's not meeting God by going, ascending to heaven, but it's him descending to you. Yeah. So if I can bring this to the gospel, Mike. Yeah, maybe this. one last point. Okay, here. yep. If if God is not located here for me, then I have to do some traveling. Mm-hmm. And if I have to do some traveling, then then it's it's Christ. It's Christ distant, and I have to do something. And then Christ died for nothing. So a, a lot of times uh, some Protestants will say things like about absolution and communion, you know, even sometimes the word of God will say, well, if then you have to do that, then then why did Christ die? You, you have to find it. But they're totally misunderstanding that. Somehow it has to come to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that physical coming to you, then you actually have to do it. And then you really have said, Christ died for me, but I got to go get it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very dangerous place to be because uh, eventually you're going to fall into a, 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 a bout of honesty. Yeah, you're gonna realize that your faith wasn't all that great, and 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 it makes sense of why Paul, in arguing against the Judaizers who are trying to introduce active righteousness and into this coming to God, um, that he gives us Christmas in Galatians four as like a central part of his argument, um, that no, it's God who comes to you; it's the work of God. Um, so I really like what you did, Mike, and here here's how I think maybe we can unpack it with the Gospels. Can we agree that Mark is kind of like the Advent gospel? It it's repent, John, John the Baptist. Yeah. yeah. So this it's like a solid Advent, and it makes sense. Advent precedes Christmas. And, and Mark has it. Matthew and Luke put put it later. Yeah. Historically later. Yeah. yeah. And so, but I do like this lens of meeting God, um, A, for understanding the power of Christmas, but B, B for understanding what the other three gospels do at the beginning um, and so Luke, right, you're going to meet God, and Luke gives us the great account of his birth, but then the shepherds, um, right, and the angels, this... this um, For no other reason than the English to write hymns. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Matthew gives us the meaning of God, and as you hit on earlier, but I think we can unpack more, especially now the Magi, the Gentiles, meeting this Jewish Messiah who is universal. He is for God. And, and right, this is a shocking thing. They knew... That, that God was universal, there's one true God, um, but that that 
the Messiah is universal, that he is for all. This, this and, is and, and think about, like, this is something to think about. When the, the temple curtain tears in two, we go, oh, now we have access to God. I think about it as you still have Ephesians, a priest yeah. who is now God, so there's no separation between the people and God because the priest and the mediator is God's. It's more of God being unleashed rather than I get to go into the, the place. And the same way with the incarnation, uh, now it breaks out of the temple, Jerusalem, the Holy Land, to everywhere. Yeah. And then, so that's Matthew's emphasis on meeting God. And then John, John 1 is all about meeting God. But what is it? The word became flesh and he tented among us. He dwelt among us. Um, and so maybe if we un- unpack these three angles of Christmas, and, and can we just agree that we're going to include epiphany with Christmas for these purposes, since I think in the our modern celebration of Christmas is taking things from epiphany. Is it fair to say we put stars on our trees, we're giving gifts, there's nativity the, scenes. The end of the Christmas season. Yeah, I don't know anyone who goes around to like when one of our Lutheran churches does a live nativity and says, get the Magi out of here. Yeah. It's not epiphany although, yet. Although, in, in my parish, in my parish, we had the nativity scene out there, and we would add things. See, okay, we did this And I Christ. didn't add, I, I kept the Magi until mm-hmm. January 6th. We also did that at Christ, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we do call Epiphany Gentile Christmas. Right. I mean, that's, that's... But maybe afraid. if you guys want to, any thoughts you have on that, if we, if we say Mark is Advent... If we take the theme, I really like the theme of meeting God. Anything from the three Gospels that stands out for you guys? So, um, but back to Epiphany just for a second. I think sure. that's why Epiphany was such a big deal early on, mm-hmm. right? Um, that this was for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, and maybe one more thing, not your topic, but then Jason can actually answer your question. Because uh, I don't think I have anything else, but... Um, so th- you get this once in a while, like December 25th actually wasn't the birthday of Jesus. <laughs> somehow you make the mm. connection then all of it's a lie, right? All of it's a lie because they be like, well, that wasn't in the Bible. That was just, you know, you got to pick a day, right? And then some people say, well, that's the winter solstice or whatever. And so they're, they're just, they're stealing it from the pagans. Well, that, that's a non sequitur as well. In fact, that's a, genius move to right. pick that day. I saw a meme once that was like someone was saying that and then the Christian's like yeah and we're going to take whatever the, whatever day next <laughs> yeah. too if you keep nope. it up. Right. <laughs> but but there's there's good evidence, I don't know if we can prove it, but there's good evidence that actually it's even stupider than that. The ancients thought that you were conceived on the day that you that died. you die, right? Yeah. yeah. You died. Which yeah. where do you get that? So if you figure out that Jesus died on March 25th, then you celebrate December 25th as his... Oh, that he was conceived in March 25th, yeah. 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 So, which of course is whatever, but th- there's historic... So so when somebody says, oh, the Christmas was just a pagan holiday that changed to Christianity, like, that, there, there's historical evidence that it's even dumber a reason, <laughs> and that, mm-hmm. that also, even if that was the case, that A, does not say that scripture is wrong, and B... Man, what a genius marketing move. Yeah. Right? Come on. Yeah. So anyway, I'm done. No, it's fine. And Jason, you can go wherever. I just I Mike with that with the meeting God, that Tabernacle. does strike me because those three gospels that do include some form of Christmas, it's all in the context of people meeting God. Yeah. I mean that is yeah. 
that's and and Luke and Matthew choose very carefully their specific audience for who is meeting God. And when God's on the move, his footsteps shake the earth. Right. And even though it was a quiet night in Bethlehem, um, Caesar Augustus had been moved. And from now on, we're going to count. Later, we're going to start counting time from that day, right? Yep. I mean, it, it changed the world. Yep. I think, you know, one of the things that I that has come to um, stand out to me more um, later on was just this idea of, you know, how um, you don't hear about God's glory too often in the New Testament, at least compared to the Old Testament, right? Um but you see it in connection with these Christmas accounts, right? I mean, you see it with the, the you know, glory of the Lord shining around the shepherds. You see it um, with the word becoming flesh, making his dwelling among us. And, uh, you know, he's full of the glory of, of the Lord. Um, and I think that, you know, is got, has to be an intentional callback to those that phraseology in the Old Testament and and how this you know unique revelation of you know God coming God appearing visibly uh, to step into history to save His people right I mean this is this is the greatest example of that in the coming of Christ in human flesh right uh, the coming of the Word uh, made flesh and I, I, that's just there are some of those phrases that um, maybe quickly pass over uh, when you're younger, and the more you hear them repeated, and the more that you maybe get a chance to dig into a few of them yourself along the way, the more you appreciate. I think too just the some of the richness that's going on there in these accounts that um, and uh, you know that's one where I think. I've I've grown to appreciate more the amount of material that you know you could preach on for these Christmas celebrations. You know, there's say, well, you know, we get Christmas Day eight the first eighteen verses of John's Gospel, and you're really only going to preach on the the one phrase or right. whatever. You know, um, well, yeah, but there there are other ways that you can uh, find a focus there. I think too, and that's a uh, the more you, the more you spend time just pausing a little bit and and thinking about some of those things, uh, you you find some pretty neat connections. I think, and we should have an episode on the glory of the Lord. That was a big thing in our yeah. seminary, and, and yeah, and Old Testament Isaiah, and but then, you know, the glory of Christ is that He would be lifted up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and it's yeah. tied to His love. And Jason's going to write it on the board later. The gl- the glory of yeah. the the hidden glory, right? And yet. Yep. And yet, still, Magi come. And yeah. Still, the angels are there, right? It's not. It's not hidden to be a mystery. It's hidden to actually be revealed to you in a, in a profound, loving way. And is this maybe? And I'll I'll stop with this, but I'd be curious, your guys' thoughts. Um, and vocation got mentioned earlier, but is maybe also part of the power of Christmas. So this is meeting God. This is this is glory. Um, there's there's all these things in play, and yet it's also like a very everyday sort of thing. 
like the people involved, mm-hmm. shepherds, um, the uh, the place, the circumstances. Is there maybe like a a built in preaching of God's love for the everyday? Um, that also explains the draw of it for so many of us. Um, you know, the peasant who who goes, wait, like I've been out in the fields, um, you know, or um, I pay th- taxes. Yeah, that it's a woman who is besides yeah. Christ the main character of the. You're right. It's a very of the re- account. It's a very relatable story. Yeah. Yeah, that it um, and that this is then how God works. So we talk about the mass and Christmas. Well. No one goes up to the Lord's Supper and goes, man, the, the church really just wowed me with the production of this one. It's mm-hmm. a little styrofoam-type wafer. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't even know this. I don't know if this is true or not, but someone was telling me a, a while ago that um, Morgan David used to make, like, a cheap wine, you know. So, you know, Mad Dog back in the day? Mm-hmm. Like, what was it, Mad Dog 2020 or whatever? Mm-hmm. That, that was actually Morgan David, and I don't know if that's true or not. But Morgan David is what we tend to use for communion wine because it's, it's so I'll have to research this, um, uh. but uh, because it's kosher, um, a baptism, right? I remember the Sunday school kids, um, each year I would, I would, with the youngest group, I would say, who wants to help me fill up the font when there was a baptism? And then some of them would just look like aghast when I just took water from the faucet. Mm-hmm. They were like, no, like, where, where do you get the baptism water from? Mm-hmm. And so, well... It's just it's regular regular water, um, and 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 maybe that is the even like the weather. I you know I joked earlier. Well, it's not great weather at Christmas, and it's but the every the everydayness takes on a power because God came into the everydayness, and it it didn't become um, you know a, like a Taylor Swift at a football game event. Um, and yet, in the midst of it, there are magi, there are shepherds, there are other. Um, the glory is recognized, but it's recognized in those very humble circumstances. Um, yeah, but and recognized once it has been revealed, right. right? You know that, yeah. And you can't know it without the word. Yeah, right. Yep. You can't. Yep. You can't unpack. You can't find the. You can't. You can't do it unless you have. You have revelation. And isn't that what so many of even the non-religious Christmas movies are about, is someone finds something extraordinary in the ordinary. It, like half of these romances, it like <laughs> turns out that they w- had been friends way back when, and now this they... Is your, this is the second reference to Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> well, it's I've just, never it's watched <laughs> one. Apparently in the Johnston household, it's not just Die Hard It's always Christmas. the same story. Like uh, there, someone comes back to the small town. How do you know it's they, always the same story? I've seen a number of them. All right, in then. The, <laughs> I've never seen any of them. But, um, but, I mean, think of like the songs and the movies. So much of it is finding the, you know... Um, this, even what's mistletoe? Well, the the two spouses that maybe haven't ha- shared a kiss just to share a kiss, other than goodbye, going to work, whatever else. It's the everyday thing. There's the, you know, it's not well. What's a Christmas food? There's not necessarily things that are specifically Christmas foods, but we take the everyday and then we say it's a Christmas. Here's a cookie. Well, it's a Christmas cookie. Well, what's the recipe that makes it a Christmas? Well, it's just a cookie, but like it. It's a Christmas cookie. You know, it's not like Thanksgiving where there's the, I don't know. I, to me, all right. Well, right. No, I think, I think there's, which is, I think why you put, you put this topic on, 
put this topic on our hearts. <laughs> but you're onto something there, right? Like, why is Christmas something different than Easter, Thanksgiving, or whatever? Um, and for a lot, you can answer that in a lot of different ways, but you can kind of tie it back even to, I mean, it's, you're right. Christmas movies are like, it's just be simple. Mm-hmm. You know? Let's think about what's important. And you're missing Christ from those, but without Christ, you probably wouldn't have that feel. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's um, like with apologetics where um, I know Parton has done, and you've talked about what the, the Bach rather than the, that it's not, and we don't just want to do apologetics based, like reason based only with modernity. Yeah. But you aim for the heart. And, I mean, there's the Christ story, even though those these things aren't about Christ. There's elements it's of the Christ story. story. There's themes that make it's their way in. a beautiful story. Yeah. Okay. I said a lot. We're going to do, Jason's going to write something on the board about, oh, we yep. still haven't done fentanyl in the church. Fentanyl huh? in the church? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't even know that one was up there. Um, <laughs> Where did that come from? Uh, I don't know. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've we've done our Christmas talk. Uh just quick question for you guys. I, men- I mentioned Christmas foods. What's the meat on Christmas? Is there a meat that you guys traditionally have, or is it just it changes every year? Uh, I think we're having ham this year. I think ham is what I'm most used to also. Ours has changed, I think, at the big gathering with the in-laws. It's going to be a ham and a turkey, but there's okay. a lot of people there. So It's a pretty Gentile take on Christmas to have yeah, the ham, absolutely. huh? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we hope you all um, have a, a wonderful Christmas. We hope that... Uh, uh, you remember that this is, is not um, the only time of the year that we meet God, but that he comes to us regularly in his gospel, and it's that which animates everything we do. Um, and so we rejoice and we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, and we remember that that is what enables us every day uh, to let the bird fly. And I forgot to turn to the music thing, so I'm going to say, okay, here we go. Now I'm going to press the music. Another round, another round, oh, one more round, won't get me down.